episode uh 28 we're back in action uh if you like this podcast it's it's slowly growing people are starting to like it but you can support it on patreon.com slash redhawk academy a bunch of other random vlogs are going up there um techniques cooking vids book reviews a bunch of stuff just keeping it content that's never going to go on youtube is going up there and there's an archive with over a hundred videos that you've probably never seen on there if you guys enjoy the content so and if not, subscribe and like. Thank you, guys. Uh, now we're here with my friend, uh, Santino DeFranco, head coach. W w what's your title? Head coach of uh, the Fight Ready. Man, title at Fight Ready. Guy that shows up in the morning. I think that's my, <laughs> I think that's my actual title. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, technically, I guess I'm a head MMA coach, but there's like 5,000 coaches over there and everyone yeah. kind of doing a thing here and there. Mm -hmm. So I'm a guy, but I don't know if I'm the guy. Yeah. Well, that's one of the, I think one of the strengths at Fight Ready, there's a lot of coaches. A lot of other gyms have two, three coaches dedicated to 50 plus athletes. So it's like you may may have a coach look at you for five minutes in, in a week, but you guys have a lot of different coaches. Is that working out pretty well? It is. So there's the hard thing about it is there's a lot of logistics. There's a lot of coaches, which means there's a lot of chiefs, which means there's a lot of voices, which means there's a lot of noise. And that is a lot. Mm -hmm. We've had our growing pains, you know, with things like that. But now that we've actually kind of figured it out a little bit and everybody kind of knows their role and people aren't always trying to step over each other, then it helps a lot. Because as I mean, you know, you're you're training people now. There's only one of you. And so all of that pressure is on you to make mm -hmm. sure all of these fighters have all of this stuff and that's a really hard thing um i do a lot i've got other businesses i've got a wife i've got kids i've got you know 20 fighters with stuff going on having the other coaches there whether they're heading camps or just helping out really takes a lot of that pressure off me mm -hmm. so i'm not obligated to do everything like it's like okay i can i can work with you right here and there and this and actually right now it's just leaving mark madsen is fighting and I'm the you know head of his camp I'm running it mm -hmm. but then I can delegate stuff out it's like oh you're coming in with Frankie right now you're going to work a little cage stuff and then you're going to work with Al and the boxing coach later we've got you over here at strength and conditioning so there you know all of the the training times throughout the week I'm there for a lot of them but not all of them I don't need to be mm -hmm. there for all of them I'm delegating stuff out and that really takes a lot of the pressure off yeah um, but <laughs> To get there, it took a lot of growing pains yeah. and stuff, but it but it's nice now. Yeah, being a being a facilitator, like especially with the all the high level athletes you're working with, have you? Um, because you're let's go through your background in martial arts real quick. You've been in doing jujitsu for how long now? I started jujitsu in 2000. 2000. So 22 years. I started wrestling before that when I was in what seventh or eighth grade. Seven, between summer between seventh and eighth grade. So I've been. Start wrestling. Gosh, that, I'm old as shit. I turned 40 this year, so that'd be 93-ish or so. I started wrestling 94. Shit, you don't look too beat up. Because yeah. how how many pro fights total? I've got between pro fights 17, and then I've got my fights on the UFC show, mm -hmm. um, and then some kickboxing fights and amateur fights. And so stuff. did you uh, did you already always know you were going to be a, a coach, or did something kind of lead you into being a coach? Um, no, I mean. I don't know. I, it's funny. I I didn't think I was always going to be a coach, but I was always coaching. Mm -hmm. Even when I first started, you know, like I said, I started in 2000 with the world-renowned, amazing jujitsu of Roland Saria. <laughs> so it's, you know, for you guys that don't know, I mean, Roland, there was a big thing. He gave himself a black belt. Oh, really? Oh, it was like, it was a weird thing. Like He was the promoter of... Rage in the Cage, yeah. Right. And people are pretty critical about him and stuff. So I say that in jest. Um, uh -huh. But we didn't know at the time. We didn't... You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And at the time, Roland was pretty much it. And for as bad as he was in in knowledge and giving himself a black belt, he, he, we actually all learned quite a bit there. But yeah. as a... Gosh, I was like a blue belt teaching classes 
And you know, I mean, back then in 2000, a blue belt was basically a brown belt. There was like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's more black belts now in Arizona than there was like white belts when I was training. Really? It's insane. But, you know, I was teaching even, even early, a year after I started training, two years after I started training, you know, we're kind of um, doing stuff. So I was always teaching. But then, of course, you know, a lot of people, if they've ever heard my story, I had a, a brain aneurysm. So I was supposed to be on the second season of The Ultimate Fighter. They found a brain aneurysm. And then that kind of kept me out of the sport for a couple of years. And then I, I got to go ahead to fight again. But then I, I sucked. Once When I came back, it was I was the most technical human on the planet, but I was scared that I was going to die. Dude, that that would be hard hard to overcome, having a, having a brain aneurysm and actually just caring about your future and not just being like, I'll fight anyone. Yeah. And just fuck your – that would be super tough to overcome. So – were you always good? Because obviously being a head coach of fighters, you got a good relationship with a lot of people. You have a family. A lot of high-level fighters look up to you. Have you always been good at communicating or kind of who taught you to communicate? I don't know. I, I am a good communicator. Um, I don't know how I learned that. Maybe I grew up with two sisters. Maybe You know what I mean? I, I don't know if that's, yeah. you know, how, how that works. But um, I even, I taught college English for a few years. So I was teaching at, at the you know, so I'm always teaching and I am a good communicator, but I don't know how that happened. If that, if it was just natural because I've been training for so long and coaching or really how that developed. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, I couldn't tell you. I wonder if it's from, cause you like to read books, right? Yeah. It could be from that. Maybe, you know, reading, I feel like reading is such an introverted thing though, that in communicating, communicating is so extroverted. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if they... What I think it does, though, is is I think I think it helps me. Like I said, I'm an English person, mm-hmm. so I I explain my words very deliberately. Like a lot of people, oh, well, I thought you meant this, or I thought, no, no, no. I am a freaking English teacher. I use words semantically, and I meant exactly what I said. And maybe maybe from reading so much, being an English person, that I I can explain things, mm-hmm. you know, very deliberately because of my ability to do that my vocabulary per se but that makes sense i I don't know i think it was more just of a natural natural thing i've always even you know as a middle school or a high schooler i was you know i like to be the clown i like to be the person with the center of attention Mm. and kind of running stuff and i think it's it's probably just a little bit more innate you know i've got two kids now uh an 11 year old and a nine-year-old my 11 year old even at five years old could talk to any adult, anybody, anywhere. And com- he was so good at communicating. <laughs> and my nine-year-old just like sits there and looks down and can't even say four words. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I'm always interested on, in, in kind of how people become become leaders and kind of where it comes from. I think for me, I've, had, I've always had such good coaches, all the way from high school wrestling, all the way up, Robert Fallis, um, a guy named Matt Powers, uh, like John Crouch, the... Matt Linlin, uh, a bunch of very good coaches. And then, and then I just kind of figured out, okay, if I just get like expert level at all these martial arts, just expert level, just really study them, really just do them and just envelop myself in them, then I'll be able to coach, you know, okay. I mean? really understanding everything, understand, not everything, obviously, but understanding the techniques. Um, yeah. And I think that's, where it comes from with me, I would say. So I'm curious about know. that because I'm on the opposite side. I've never had coaches. I've coached myself. Almost everything that I've done from the start of my career is self-taught. Damn. Um, I, I, I just didn't. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I trained with, you know, over with John for mm-hmm. a little bit and over here and there. And I've had people. I've learned stuff from people here and I've picked stuff up from people, yeah. but I've never had a coach. I've like never a, had a mentor, really. Yeah, I've never had. Even striking, I remember, I mean, we know Joe Riggs. I mean, I remember him and I were growing up together, 19, 20 years old at the same gym, and I didn't get any love at all. And I would watch Joe, I would watch people train Joe, and then I would go emulate that on a bag. Mm -hmm. And then I would literally, I'm not even kidding when I say this, me and a buddy of mine would play K1 on PlayStation, and I would go like on a bag and drill reps. I would always be Crow Cop and he'd always be Mark Hunt and I was always repping. You know what I mean? It's just... Fucking left high kick. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> watching tape and reading and watching film and then just doing it on my own. So with the coaches that you've had, what is... Is there a common thread in those good coaches that well, that yeah, makes them a good coach? 
yeah, I think every one, every one of them was quite a bit different. But the way they explain things and the way they talk so confidently in front of a group of professional fighters who are all confident, badasses, black belts in jiu-jitsu, and how they confidently explain things and they're super good with their words. And, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know other than that. And just kind of made you feel, said the right things to you at the right time. I guess those are the things. So it's not a technical thing. It's a communicative ability to relay information yeah, I, w- I would say okay. that. And it's the, a leadership role, yeah. not a coaching role. Yeah, and, okay. but a lot of techniques in it too. Yeah. A lot of MMA techniques in it too, so for sure. But some of the top guys, because you're, you're working with guys like Henry Cejudo. You're working with um, Chan Sung Jung. You're working with just like Henry Corrales, who's a motherfucker. He's built to fight, isn't he? That dude is a fighter. If there was a human that personified fighting, it is Henry Corrales. <laughs> yeah. In every aspect of it, and you want to know what's funny is, like, I've come in contact with quite a few people who know Henry outside of our gym. You guys trained with him for a mm-hmm. long time. We go to LA. You see, I have never once run into a single human that is not like, dude, Henry's the best guy ever. I love bad that guy. Like, fucker, yeah. Have you ever heard anybody <laughs> say, if somebody said something bad about Henry, I'd say, you're a bad person. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know you, but you're a real fucking creep. Yeah. Like, I need to stay away from you. You give me bad vibes. Yeah. That dude is just tough as nails and just a solid human in every facet of humanity. Yeah. Love it. Super, and he's, he, he's such a fucking savage, and it's crazy how intellectual he is. Super fucking smart, too. Um, yeah, crazy good dude. But what are a lot of things, like some things for an average fan that you see in common with these top-level athletes, would you say? Man, um, there's a few things, and... And this is at the beginning of people's careers. And and I've seen it from people as they kind of grow and develop and as they go, even before they're top. This stuff is before top athletes are top athletes, this is what they're doing. And they're doing a thousand times more than whatever is asked of them. If you see somebody, I always use the Bill Gates um, analogy. Nobody... Like, I mean, Bill Gates had a boring life and that is why he was good at something. If you want to be good at something, you have got to just completely zone out the rest of the world. That dude spent five, six, seven hours a day computer programming. And if you're spending five, six, seven hours a day doing anything, if it's basketball, if it's baseball, if it's football, if it's fighting, it means you're not doing anything else in those five, six, seven hours, mm-hmm. which means you're not hanging out with people. You're not drinking. You're not doing the fun stuff. You're absorbed in something almost at an obsessive level, well beyond greatness or well beyond wanting to be good at like like a, a kid in a basketball court. Like He doesn't think, oh, I'm going to go be Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go be this great basketball player. They just want to play and they just want to be better and better and better and better in the moment. And then that leads to them having this phenomenal skill set. And if you're going to be good at anything, you need to be obsessed with that thing to where, oh, you have a girlfriend? Yeah, well, you're missing dates to be obsessed with that thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're, oh, your niece and nephew have a party? Oh, well, you're missing that because you're obsessed with that thing. And this is at well before you're ever making a penny at anything mm-hmm. ever. Before Bill Gates ever made a dime, he was computer programming probably better than anyone in the world. Before Henry Cejudo ever made a dime, he was a he was a fifth grader doing high crotches mm-hmm. again and again and again and again. And when it was time to go home, he probably did five more and then he went home and thought about it. And then he you know, again and again. Yeah. That that alone is what people don't get. They think they think that there's a formula for it. And they think by the time you get to that formula, you've already got it or you've missed it. Yeah, that's super well said. And it's just so fucking true, dude. Especially, especially in MMA. Especially in MMA where you have Muay Thai, you have boxing, you have your wrestling, you have your jiu-jitsu, you have your ground and pound. Then you have your MMA. You you have it all all together. That's just so true. Just enveloping yourself in it and being obsessed with it. Not letting your mind wander and worry about oh this I need to switch this because I need to do this, do this and just being in it for years and years and years and years and years and years and and not just to get to this end goal like oh I'm gonna get in the UFC and then that's the same 
most of the times because you fucking just love you it. You just love it. Just love doing yeah. it. It's not that hard to do five, six hours a day because you just love doing it. You shot in and somebody defended it. And you're like, motherfucker, I'm going to shoot in again the same way. Oh, they def- I'm going to shoot in again, again, again. Oh, I, I got it. And that is it. It's that. It's mm-hmm. not caring about the money, not caring about the end goal, not caring about anything. But that determination that gets people good at that level is what I see in the champions at the championship level is that desire to get better in that perfectionism again and again and again. And then there's something in this for all of you out there who want to be great at something. Um, there, there is something innate and genetic that we cannot teach about any sort of greatness in the world. And that is just being in the moment in the zone. And quarterbacks do that. There's a reason why the Tom Brady's and the Mahomes are who they are mm-hmm. because there's a million things going on at that like, you know, in that second, the crowd, the people you've got, you know, it's a run pass option. He's going to hand off, but he sees the defensive lineman coming. So, okay. So this is all in a tiny, tiny (laughs) fraction of a second. And he goes to hand off and he sees that defensive lineman coming at the quarterback or at the running back. So he holds the ball and runs it out. Those are split second decisions. And in a fight, these are milliseconds. Mm -hmm. These things are going on so fast. And in, they need to be aware of what is going on before everybody else is aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And another thing I like to talk about a lot is, is tennis. There's a, um, a study I saw talking about tennis players, what made them mm-hmm. the best tennis players. And they did their serve, their speed, um, how fast they could hit the racket, all of these quantifiable things. And the number one thing that – the only thing that they could really tell – that uh, moved them up the ranks, like the higher the ranked tennis player was, was this. And that was their ability to predict where the ball was going to go earlier than the person below them. And that's the same with baseball. A a pitch is too fast to actually see it, process it, and then decide what you're going to do. So you actually have to, the, the best baseball players there are, the highest batting averages, is as that ball is loaded, they can predict, okay, here, it's a fastball or three inches later, it's a fastball or all the way to here. It's a fastball. It's their ability to predict. And what that Mm -hmm. does in fighting, you fought for a long time and you know that you could grab a, 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 we'll say a guy who's, who sparred for a couple months, Mm -hmm. kickbox for a couple Mm -hmm. months. And and they've said this to you, whether you're wrestling with them, rolling jujitsu with them or striking with them, you know what I'm doing before I even do it. And you do. Because you know their weight is loaded on their right foot. And so you know the only thing that they can throw is a right hand. Mm-hmm. Or you know that their weight is shifting to their left. So you, you don't even realize this. You just know it. You just know it. You've seen it. That's the difference between you and me and Floyd Mayweather. Mm-hmm. We know a jab, a cross, a hook, a this, a that. But he can predict sooner what we're going to do before we even know what we're going to do. Because he sees our body and our weight. And it's all subconscious, but he can analyze it. And that is a thing with these great fighters is they know what to do before the person below them even thinks about what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fucking, you put it greatly. You really see that too. Even in jiu-jitsu, going with Taquino Mendez, it's like he knows what you're going to do way before you think you know what you're going to do. He's so far ahead of it. And, and exactly what you said, that's what I think makes Sugar so great in the cage. He's just so in the moment, and he's so his he's got such good eyes, um, athletically. And when the lights turn on, people don't realize when the lights turn on, and you're in an arena, and fifteen thousand people are yelling in your direction, and you have all this fucking pressure on you, and all these things can go wrong, and your mind can be wandering to all these different places, but be able to be there in the moment during that—that's super fucking powerful. With that alone, I mean, we don't know who the best basketball player is. We don't know who the best fighter is in the world. Mm-hmm. We all think, okay, the, like, like take Suge. He's a 35er, so you got Peter Yan in, in his division. Is Peter Yan the best fighter in the world? I don't know. No. I know the answer is no. The best fighter in the world is some in some gym somewhere beating the shit out of Peter Yan and every other ranked fighter there is on the planet. And then when the lights turn on and it means something, they crumble. <sighs> they fucking crumble. Yeah. And that's what matters. It doesn't matter who's better. It matters who can do it when you have to do it. Dude. And that is it. It's so true. Because you, you see some guys too in the gym. It's like, 
how in the fuck are they in the UFC? I beat the fuck out of them every day in the room. But then when the lights turn on, they're game. And with, with not great technique, but they're game in there and they get the job done. It's yep. crazy. And that's another part of it is that toughness. Like you need to be able to take a beating and not blink and be able to just keep going and going and going. And you see that you see people look good until they face adversity. And then you see people crumble. Mm-hmm. And that is a sign of greatness. You know, with Henry Cejudo, we, a couple of times, man, um, with, with him in his first fight in Demetrius, he got kicked and his leg was all wobbly and going and didn't even waver in the middle. You know, we go back to the round, you know, in between rounds. I'm like, hey, how's your leg? And he actually kind of laughed. He's like, oh, my gosh, it's, it's good now. It's just a nerve. I'm good. And he just told me, he goes, I'm good. Don't worry about it. And I didn't say another thing about it. We have to address other shit. Mm-hmm. Against Marlon Marais, he got the shit kicked out of him that first round. Didn't blink. Just went in there and went. And, and you got to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be a fighter... You need to be okay with getting your brain bashed in and not even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. The second you think about it, you're done. Get out. Be done. Yeah. There's, you can't do it. Yeah, and especially you see it happen all the time. Like fighters are really, really good and they get beat up just one time or maybe a few times and then they come back and they just can't get over that fucking barrier. And that's where I think maybe some like um, psychology – I mean – sports psychologists and stuff can help you. I've seen it. You've seen it help people. Someone like, like Bisping after getting fucking just clobbered by Hendo coming back and winning the mm-hmm. championship. Like I, I got a thing with that. I don't. So one, there's two things that you said there. One, and you know, like, did you ever train with Efren? Was he at the lab when you were over there? Yeah, quite a bit. Okay. So Efren is the example of what you just said. He was phenomenal. And then he got tired against Evan Dunham and got just dead. And then we never saw Efren fight again. It was always split decision win, split decision loss, because he never wanted, and, and it wasn't a knockout, it was a cardio thing. Mm-hmm. He never wanted to be tired again, so he never left it on the line, and he was mediocre mm-hmm. after that, because mm-hmm. he would never fight. He was always worried about getting tired, mm-hmm. um, and, and you see that a lot. And with the sports psychology thing, I, I'm, I used to be with you. I used to yeah. be, okay, get, let's get a sports psychologist, and let's do this and go. I think it can help people almost in a sense of like running. Like I'm a slow white guy. I'm not going to go beat Usain Bolt. I could train. Usain Bolt could have never ran a day in his life. And I could have trained every single day of my life. And he would just off the couch, drink a beer and beat me in a fucking foot yeah. race. But, you know, if Usain Bolt's running, I don't know exactly. We'll say it's a nine, eight hundred yard dash. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, we'll say naturally he runs an 11 and then he trains and trains and trains and he got down to nine, eight. I'm probably at a 15 second and I could train and train and train. And I'm only going to be at, I don't know, a 13 second. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That's, I'm never going to be a nine second. There's, you can train within the realm of your abilities, but I can't train to jump like Jordan or to run like Usain Bolt. Mm-hmm. I feel like sports psychology is the same. And I am very, very, very against self-help books. Mm. I, I think self-help books are for... I think it's a cycle of self-help. And mm-hmm. I think if you get a self-help book, you're looking for that help and it's just going to keep you in this trap and trap and trap. Mm-hmm. I, I don't believe in it. I don't think they help people. I I love, and, and then again, you take like a Tony Robbins or something like that. What That guy's never accomplished anything. He has taken other people's accomplishments, a quote of Michael Jordan, uh, General Schwarzkopf, Teddy Roosevelt. And then he puts those things aggregately in a book and then okay so, so stuff like that if you really want self-help books go read a book from a general go read 11 rings from you know phil jackson go read john Wynn's book go read and get self-help from the people that the self-help people are regurgitating all of their stuff from mm-hmm. go read some books on psychology go read some books on on sports and, and achievements from that person yeah get it from them get it from the source but moving into the sports psychology thing, I've seen so many people who, if you're mentally strong, you're mentally strong. And if you are mentally strong and you get a sports psychologist, it is going to help you to be stronger. It is going to help. You, you'll cue some things. You make a little bit of sense of things. Mm-hmm. But if you're not, and I have seen so many people who I have pushed to sports psychologists and it has done nothing. Mm-hmm. They, they tell themselves it has, they regurgitate the stuff, they go through all of the stuff, 
but it's just not there. I, I think it's just like, I, I think that mental component is the same thing as the physical component. I, I don't know that it's either there or it's not. It's the mm-hmm. eyes, what we were talking about. I can't teach you to see punches. I can't teach you to read a, a base, mm-hmm. you know, a pitcher's pitch. You have to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think with sports psychology, I think you can only move. A, I think there's a very little bit of a small amount of wiggle room. Mm-hmm. You can get a little bit better, but if you're mentally broken, you're not Michael Jordan. And mm-hmm. it, I, all the sports psychology in the world, you might be a little better than what you are, mm-hmm. but it's the guys you see on Instagram. Go look at all of the people who are posting all of the motivational shit on Instagram, and I will show you all of the people trying to convince themselves that they are mentally strong and emotionally mm. strong, and they're dealing with, they're posting that stuff not as, hey, this is something how I live by. Tim, this will help you out. They're going, oh, I need this. This means a lot to me. I need to do this, and then they post it. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is with, with that whole sports psychology game. I really like yeah. it. I think that the most mentally strong people should have some sort of sports psychology, mm-hmm. some sort of cueing. Sometimes you're just not ready to fight. Well, yeah, may- maybe a lot of those 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 people too learned it at a younger age. They learned it from a- another coach, or 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 maybe sports psychology helps with some people when negative shits going through your mind, not letting it take over, and just countering it with something something better countering it with something better maybe little lessons like that or some of the sports psychology is just teaching you little tricks and little habits to bring you back in that moment yeah little ways to bring you back in the moment but yeah i like i like your outlook on that i think if you're gonna do it it's gonna help no matter where you're at but the jv sports psychology the the mental midget is never gonna just bloom blossom one day yeah into into this strong guy and and i and i think i've got a guy who's who's really Amazing in the gym, freaks out in fights. But the rest of his life is a train wreck. Mm. He's a mental midget outside. He's, he's got all these issues. He's, he, he can't communicate. He lets people walk all over him. He's, he's so worried about what other people think in life. And so, of course, you get into a fight, into a competition. What do my friends think? What's going to happen? You can't do that. Like, oh, yeah, your, your life is a train wreck. And you can just walk into a cage and just decide, nah, it's not a train wreck anymore. I'm good. I'm here now. Yeah, I'm mentally yeah. strong. Yeah, for sure. So do you have you ever experienced with uh, uh, psychedelics or do you do use marijuana or caffeine? or? So as a kid, everything. I mm-hmm. did every drug there was. In a, you know, as a kid, as a teenager, um, in my adult years, nothing. I am so... Like no caffeine either. Oh, uh, caffeine times a billion, mm-hmm. times a trillion. Mm-hmm. There's a bit. What what comes after a trillion? Like I'm yeah, I'm yeah. in that too. Like I drink. I love caffeine. I love not even caffeine. I love coffee. Mm. I lo- I don't drink energy drinks. I love coffee. Honestly, like some people might. I might be a creep about coffee. Like a real how fucking many a day? Creeper. Um. Well, this morning before I left my house, so I have a espresso maker at my house. Nice one. And I'm not talking some bullshit. I'm talking about... Creme de la creme. Of, yes, a fucking Yura espresso maker. If you guys know what that is, you're like, whoa, this dude's fucking crazy. He's rich. No, I'm not. I spent my money on this espresso <laughs> maker, and I probably should have bought four houses with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm dumb, and I'm addicted. So I've got this really nice espresso maker, and pretty much every day before I leave my house, I drink two Americanos with three shots in them each. So that's six shots. You but, drink three of those? I drink two of those, so six shots before I leave my house. Generally, I will pick up a coffee on the way to the gym, and then I'll kind of sip that while I'm at the gym. Mm -hmm. And then I will drink another coffee before my evening classes by around three or four. um, I usually finish that. And that's. You sleep pretty good? You want to know what's funny is yes, I actually do. Uh, But if if I drink after four to five, that's when I'll notice it kind of affects me. Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll try and finish it before three thirty ish or so, mm-hmm. but then I'll, I'll notice it. But then I love nootropics too. So I actually formulated my own nootropic because I was taking all of this stuff for a long time. L-tyrosine, alpha GPC, um, Bacopa, you know, B vitamins and stuff. Cause I, I really like that. Mm-hmm. That said, 
I'm always tired. I'm always fatigued. I'm always, you know, and, and actually just like a week and a half ago, I randomly was like, let me start taking some iron. I haven't eaten beef or pork in 25 years. I haven't eaten red meat or, you know, since I was 15. And I was like, let me just try it. And I have cut my caffeine down probably by a third. Just from getting the extra iron? Iron, yes. Damn. So I haven't, usually I take three nootropics and a cup of coffee before my night class is around four. And I haven't taken them in a week and a half. I haven't touched them. I don't even need to. Damn. I feel so much more human. Did you get just, a, you started doing a call, a steak or what did you start doing? No. Iron supplements? Iron supplements. Oh, yes. Okay. So I started doing iron supplements. And now it, I'm like, okay, I should probably go get my blood tested. If I was that deficient in iron, like. Who knows? Yeah, let me go check. So I'm going to go get checked out. And I really didn't know if it was going to help me or not. I just thought I'm so fatigued. Uh-huh. Like, I, like I couldn't function. And yeah. now it's like, I don't feel like I'm on nootropics or a bunch of caffeine. I just don't feel like shit. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's um, pretty cool. Yeah, I'm super into coffee too. I have been for a long time. I try not to do any caffeine after 1 p.m. because I, I like my good fucking sleep. But I have this AeroPress. You heard of AeroPress? Mm-hmm. I love the AeroPress. I, I want to buy a nice fancy machine, but I'm like, God, this AeroPress gives me two good quality it's shots. Good. I've like perfected my AeroPress. So you just do straight Americanos, huh? Yeah. Or so sort of. So I'll do not just that's my quick. That's my daily. Like, all right, I'm doing Americanos. But then in the afternoon, if I'm home, a lot of times I'll just do a double shot, just espresso. Um, on the weekends, give me a French press. Nice. Oh, and I've got, yeah. I'm just sipping it. Yep. I, I think the French press is the best cup of coffee there is. I love espresso. I love an AeroPress. I like drip coffee. People mm-hmm. hate on drip coffee. Just Yeah, you like it. Yeah, give me some fresh drip coffee. But a, but a French press, I think, is like that is a way if you're gonna enjoy coffee still just black mm-hmm, always black so damn a few years ago i don't even know my wife was doing this diet uh you know she, calorie cutting so she stopped putting cream and sugar in her coffee it's maybe five years ago and she was like hey it actually tastes better with no cream or sugar and i was like bullshit no way you're just trying to get me you're not taking calories and sugar so what you want me to drink your shitty coffee with you because you're not doing it (laughs) and uh you know first cup or two i was like man i don't know it's rough but once you stop putting the sugar in the if you put sugar and cream in your coffee at all any coffee pretty much tastes the same Mm -hmm. you stop doing that and it's like wine now all of a sudden you can taste the flavors in it you can taste Oh, there's a little floral in this. Oh, I I taste hints of citrus. Oh, there's a little bit of chocolate. Like you mm-hmm. can taste it, and it really is a lot better without the cream or the sugar. Damn. Yeah. Because usually I do. A little, do you do cream and sugar? I, I do a little bit of uh, frothed oat milk with some honey and some cinnamon. Okay. And I also have this little nootropic blend I I put in it. That's pretty good too. Um, yeah. Try it without. Okay. Try it without. A, for a couple of days, and you will like you'll be able to tell the difference of the flavors in the coffee. But the second you put something in it, it's all gone. It's washed out. You yeah, can't, you can't taste it anymore. I, I, I don't know who I learned it from, but Paul Check said, as soon as you grind the beans, shortly after, it loses 60% of its aromas. I'm really? like, damn, that's pretty crazy. So freshly ground beans. And I guess beans that aren't organic are some of the heavily, most heavily sprayed with pesticide things out there. Really? I was like, dang, I didn't know that either. So I always try to do good organic beans. I got this little uh, organic farm out by my house, Blue Sky Organic Farms, and try to get everything from there. But And do they have their own – do they roast their own coffee there or do they bring it in? I think they bring it in from, okay. a, from a guy locally. Because there's a couple good roasters around Arizona. There's Cave Creek. Um, there's ROC. Yeah, both of those two are really solid local roasters. Do you go out to eat a lot? Out by Scottsdale where you guys are at, there's just so much good food. Over here in Waddell, there ain't shit. Yeah, I am unfortunately a foodie. Uh, I actually used to to write food and restaurant reviews for um, yeah Arizona Weekly Magazine, which is kind of a knockoff spin of like the New Times type Mm -hmm. thing. But uh, yeah, I live in downtown Phoenix on the border of Scottsdale and Phoenix, and... The restaurants there are stupid. Fuck. They're so good. I'm Everything. The shitty restaurants are fucking good. Damn. Like, and then the good restaurants are like, well, shit, I'll eat here every day. Yeah. And 
my kids are bougie little fuckers. Are they? Like, oh my God. <laughs> like my kids are like, hey, can we go to North or Chelsea's Kitchen, which are like good Arcadia, like dinner spots. Yeah. And like, it's a Friday, it's like Friday at three. And they're like, well, I want, I want the halibut from Chelsea's. I'm like, you <laughs> fucking snot nose little shit. You're eating Kraft macaroni and cheese at home. Yeah. And they're like, no, but we want, and I'm like, damn, like they're. So does your wife stay at home with the boys? Sort of. She works from home and she's worked from home before working at home was a thing. So Mm -hmm. she works for a a big pharmaceutical, no, not a pharmaceutical company, a pharmacy insurance company. So, and she manages like big, uh, fuck, I'm going to butcher this. She's been working there since I know her and I still can't tell you what the fuck she does. Mm. But she, she manages the pharmacy benefits for like large governmental agencies. So like if the state of California needs pharmacy benefits for their people, her company and her will put that plan together and facilitate nice. it and do all of that. Nice. So she's worked from home for about 10 years and she makes way more money than I do. So it's, it's a pretty good gig. Hell yeah. Then she's home with the kids and you know, so it's honestly, it's the best of both. Worlds. Nice. So it's a really solid situation. So you're saying you, the last time you tried marijuana was years and years ago. Oh my gosh. It must've been, well, sort of. I'm, I'll be 40 this year. I was, the last time I really did psychedelics or drugs or really, really a lot, I was in my early 20s, 20, 21, mm-hmm. 22. But I actually, on my way back from a Brazil trip, I can't sleep on planes. And Tracy Cortez was fighting in Brazil and her brother Junior had some edibles, had some gummies. And I was like, well, fuck it. He was like, take this, you'll sleep. And I was like, fuck, I don't know. I don't want to wake out on a plane. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to zonk pl- out. I was fucking. Well, all right. So I ate an edible. I ate, I forget what he gave me, like uh, worms or something. So I ate, he was like, just eat half. So I ate half. And then the second I got down on the plane, I was like, I probably had two glasses of wine before we were in the air. <laughs> and then I had, then I ate the other part of the edible. And then I woke up in America Damn. and I was like, like that was the shit. So that worked out good. Yeah. And then since then, a couple of times, actually somewhat recently over the last year, a buddy of mine gave me some edibles because for a long time I didn't sleep well. And now I've actually kind of figured my sleep out well. But a long time I, I was kind of like hit and miss with my sleep. And so I would take a, almost like a wafer and like quarter it. And I would literally, as I got into bed, like eat the, you know, little, have it dissolve and stuff and then go right to sleep. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to feel anything. I didn't want any disassociative yeah. thoughts or properties in my brain. Cause that kind of, yeah. it's, like I said, I used to smoke tons of weed when I was young and I stopped because I didn't like the paranoia of it. And I didn't like being out of control of my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I, I mean, I smoked weed my whole life. I was, I, I did every drug. It was fine. And then one day I was like, whoa, I don't like not being in control. Mm-hmm. And the thing with weed is I feel like you're mentally, you kind of trail from one thought to the next thought to the next thought. And you kind of, you know, you're kind of going from one thing to the next to the next. And even, I don't know, I want, I want to focus on this microphone here. And I'm thinking about the microphone for 10 seconds. And all of a sudden I'm thinking More about, enough. yeah, this and then that. And then next thing you know, I'm thinking about, space planet exploration yeah. from 2008 i'm like wait no the microphone so so um i i saw i don't know if maybe you saw on your instagram you're starting to write a book so, so i actually have written a book it is already in contract for publication and now i'm just waiting for it to well, come is out. it fiction non-fiction no it's a memoir oh cool so, yeah it's a memoir um i've actually written a lot I started with fiction. That's actually everything I, I wrote was mm-hmm. really, really fiction for the most part. And I, I would send stuff out to literary journals. And how how would you put out put away time for your writing? Like especially with kids, especially with the gym and everything, just sitting down, shutting everything off, and just writing. What was your schedule like for that? I mean, it's it's what we talked about with everything else. Is you just neglect it. Mm-hmm. You just, if I want to go do, if I want crack right now, I am not here. I am not with my wife. I am not with my kids. We have all these other obligations. I'm out doing crack. Mm-hmm. If I want to run, like my wife's a big runner. She will stop in the middle of something, handle the kids. I'm running. And, and that that was really writing. I mean, 
I think I manage time well where I would, I would wake up and, and write it. First five, thing. Yeah, 5 a.m. And, until the kids are up and then I'm out of the house at 7 or 8. And then, you know, the kids go to bed and I'm writing until, you know, 8 at 8 p.m. till 11 or 12 at night. It's it's just what you want to do, you'll find the time to do. Yeah. And Yeah, if you, if you have discipline. Some people want to do shit and then they don't do it. Just because they have zero discipline. Well, that's anything we can. I dream about being a, a pro tennis. I, I'm gonna go on the pro tennis circuit. There, I said it. I'm a fuck out of here. Yeah. Like you know, everybody says so much stuff, but what do you really want to do? Yeah. And if you really want to do whatever you're actually doing is the most important thing in the world in that moment, and if it's not, get up and go. Like legitimately, if there is something, think about like something really urgent. You're in school. And, and I remember a philosophy teacher told me that. So it's not even my own words. I, I wish I could. But he said, if he said, whatever you're doing at that moment is the single most important thing that is going on in your life. It is because you're sitting there doing it. Mm-hmm. And if not, he said, right now we're here in class. And if there is something legitimately more important than this right here, right now, get up and go. Like go. What are you? What are you doing? What, what the fuck are you here? You know, if if you're sitting in class and some, somebody called you with an emergency, they broke their leg, and you're doing, you're gone, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you wouldn't even think about it. But right here, right now, this this podcast, me being here with you, is the single most important thing in the world to me right now mm-hmm. because I am doing it. And to a lot of people, though, that's sitting on the couch and watching TV. And if it weren't, they would get up and they would do something else. But mm-hmm. that is their focus. And the most important thing in the world to them and their brain is sitting on the couch. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. You're either going to do or you're not going to do. Yeah. And whatever you want to do, you're going to get up and go do. And I think f- for me, I think like martial arts and fighting at a pretty high level and getting a black belt in jiu-jitsu, you realize what it takes to get good at something. You're like, oh, I want. if I say I want to get good at yeah, tennis. It's like, do I? Because I know yeah. what it takes. It's going to take fucking five hours every day for 10 plus years every single day. Yeah. So do I want to get good at that? Probably not. And I think that helps once you get good at one thing. You're like, okay, that's kind of the recipe to get good at anything. Yeah. Just fucking consistency over time. And that's what people need to know is the difference between getting good at something and enjoying a hobby. Don't always tackle stuff like a pro sport. You know what it takes to be good at something. So like I play tennis with my wife and that is fun. I am never going to be good at tennis and I am okay with that. Mm -hmm. And I need to understand the difference between being really good at things and just enjoying time and having fun. And it's not all, you don't have to do everything for fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the, like you said, like writing, my first writing, man, it was, I, I, I wrote stuff and I, you know, wrote my first memoir or fiction, you know, piece 15 years ago. And I'm as proud as a little kid coming to his parent. And then people are reading it and they're like, yeah, that's fucking garbage. Uh-huh. Like, oh, so you write it again and you write it again, but you write it for yourself. You're not writing it for them. You're writing because you like writing. And eventually you get good at writing. Mm. You know, it's what we're talking about with, with the athletes. You just do it because you want to do it. And eventually you're good at it. But the second you go into something thinking you want to be good at it, you set yourself up for failure because you're going to be bad at everything right off the bat. Everything. Mm-hmm. I, man, I, I I can't swing a golf club. You tell me to go swing a golf club, I will mow your lawn. Like, mm. You know what I mean? I sure shit won't hit a ball. Yeah. Um, and that's it. it it's, it's enjoying stuff. We get so as athletes. We're all crazy. We're all fucking crazy. We're mm-hmm. all wired differently as athletes, as coaches. A- anyone who's good at anything, Elon Musk, um, Bill Gates, an actor, you get these fucking method actors who are staying character the whole time for months on end. I'm like, you're batshit fucking crazy. Dude. We're as batshit crazy as all of them because we're obsessed with something. And, you know, as people who are good at stuff, you know, it's probably a good idea to be bad at something too. Just enjoy shit Mm -hmm. without being good at something. Yeah, fuck, for sure. Hey, Dad, will you click on that TV and then uh, we can pull up the... This weekend's card. Yeah, that, that, was a great, that was a great way to put it. That's good for these listeners to hear, okay. too, because I get so many questions. It's like, hey, how do I get good at this? How do I get good at this? I'm like, dude, I, the answer is so simple, and they want this, like, crazy answer that's just but, – but maybe the answers, different answers click with some people 
you, you know what I'm saying? No, you want what they want. They want a shortcut. A shortcut. They want that a shortcut. A, mm-hmm. And the only, I tell people all the time, the, the fastest, best shortcut for getting in shape and losing weight is hard work. But nobody wants that. Yeah. They want the, no, nah, what? No, just fucking do it. Put the fucking cookie down and go run. Mm-hmm. And now do it again and again and again and again and again. And then you're, you are in shape and you've lost weight. You, you want to get good at something, turn the rest of the world off, be really fucking boring and go do the thing and yeah. enjoy it for the sake of doing it. There's no short, yeah. there's no shortcut. Yeah, for real. Especially now with like all the attention sugar's getting and stuff, it's hard to just be boring. Just be yeah. boring. But we got at, at this level, especially at this level, when you're about to crack the top 10, the top five or even fucking more elite, got to just get more boring, more boring mm-hmm. and just be in the gym fucking just more. It's not who's better. And I say this in fighting all the time. It's not who's better. It's who fucks up first. And generally the person who fucks up first is the one that you and I are exchanging. We're just throwing ones and twos at each other, okay? And, and we're fresh. And our hands are right at our temples, ones and twos. And we're in our hips and we're balanced, ones and twos. But we start getting a little tired. And my hand starts dropping two inches and your hand only drops half an inch. And then my hand is dropping four inches. And the next thing you know, I'm a little bit more off balance. I'm a little bit more, my hands are a little bit lower. And I am going, and then you're going to hit me. And then you're going to hit me again and again and again. And it's not who is better, it's who fucks up first. All right. That's good. And that's it. And generally the person who fucks up first, there's two reasons why you fuck up first is your basics aren't good. Mm-hmm. We can be flashy. We're all good round one when we're fast and athletic. Mm-hmm. But as we start to slide out of that athleticism, as we start to get a little bit more tired, then your hands need to be up. You have to be balanced. You have to be in your hips. You have to do things well. And then the other thing, so it's basics and cardio. Who comes off that stool fresher in round two? Mm-hmm. And and there's a weird balance. I don't. I mean, it's a made up balance of technique and cardio coming off that stool in round two. But if I have really really good cardio, I don't need quite as much technique. And if I have really 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 good technique in relation to your opponent, mm-hmm. you know, if my technique is so much better than that person, well, they could have really really good cardio, but I'm still okay. Yeah. But if my technique's just a little bit better than them. But their cardio is way better than mm-hmm. me. They just got to get through round one, and they're gonna fucking smash. I know. And then you got that coin flip, dink, and then it's all That's over. It. Nothing, no, nothing fucking matters. But even with jujitsu too, it's crazy. Even at you, you say the basics, and it's just things you learn as a white belt. Just a normal knee cut, um, t- taking the back when someone's going to turtle. Just basic stuff. Just refining that and refining that, refining that, refining those basics over and over and over and over. You get to blue belt and you're like, God, I want to learn all this fancy shit. It's like you see these black belts and especially the world championship matches. They're doing the basic shit just so proficient. Yeah. Just so good. And it's just the basic, some of the basic shit you learn on fucking your first couple months of jujitsu. And most of the guys doing the flashy shit are the best at the basics too. They didn't learn. Look at Roy Jones. Look at Sergio Martinez. Look at Floyd Mayweather. None of them learned to fight with their hands down or a shoulder roll. That, that was all perfected and done on their own. They were taught with their hands up, throw a jab, return it back to your face, be on balance. Yeah. Think, think about Tanquino. He's one of the best ever, mm-hmm. right? That guy could fly an arm bar, all of us at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the reason he can do stuff like that is he's so proficient at the basics. Yep. If we mount him, he's getting out of the mount. If we side mount him, he's getting out of side mm-hmm. mount. Like the guys who are the best who are doing all the flashy stuff, they're the best at the basics too. Yeah, yeah. It was it was cool. He he realized that I I, I moved over and started training with Takino full time when I was a purple belt, and he started me. He he has a whole his whole curriculum. He started me from the basics. I'm in there as a purple belt doing mount escapes, and then Americanas and going through just all the basics. But that it really took my whole game to the right? next level. And that was as a purple belt. I'm like, what the fuck? But I'm like, I'm just going to listen to him. He's the best. So, yeah. That's what he did with Corrales' last fight. He worked with me a lot on that. And I, I, I tell people all the time, I can teach you how to punch, how to kick. I can't teach you how to fight. That's on you. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't do that. I can't teach you rhythms and movement and step off and this. That's on you, man. I can teach you how to punch and make sure you're back center line or, mm-hmm. you know, off center line. And that's what he did with Corrales. I said, dude, you already know how to fight. I can't teach you how to fucking fight. If you don't know how to fight at this point, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. You got 20 plus fights. Like, fuck out of here. You you know how to fight better than I know how to fight. Mm-hmm. 
What I can do is when I'm working with you and you throw a jab, I can make sure you're not off balance leaning forward. Mm-hmm. I can make sure you're back in your hips. I can make sure you're not overextending. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he did that in this last fight and he looked great. And it's basics. It's yeah. basics, basics. Yeah, and someone with like him, like the way, like someone like him, you want to te- teach him a sharp fucking straight right hand right down the pipe. But then his elbows come up. But then he's mm-hmm. cracking people with his elbows come up. And, and it's almost like, so unorthodox sometimes the way he punches but i think that's what makes it him tough to fight too he's thrown from unorthodox ways but okay this weekend big fights we'll just do some quick picks and then we'll uh get you out of here brother uh israel whitaker for me they i I think whitaker saw what yawn did to israel and he might try that but i think in a huge big cage he's gonna have a lot of trouble taking israel down and a lot of trouble holding him against the fence if that's his plan so I'm going to take Israel. Let's go Israel decision five rounder. What do you got? I got Israel. Everything in my soul wants me to say Whitaker because I think we've seen the blueprint to beat Adesanya is what Jan did. And then Vittori took him down a couple times, you know, in their fight right after that. So we've kind of seen it. Okay. Mm-hmm. But Whitaker, but Jan was able to do that because he's four inches taller or three inches taller than Whitaker. 40 pounds heavier. Yeah, 40 pounds heavier. And Whitaker, I, I mean, I really like Whitaker. I, I just think Israel's wrestling has gotten better. His ability to stand up is getting better. And that range, I, I think I think the guy that beats Izzy is going to be a taller fighter who can box Izzy a little bit and wrestle him mm-hmm. a little bit. But I'm, I'm with you. I, th- I think, I don't know. I don't know if I would call a prop on it, like by decision or... I think Israel wins it, but I could see it. I could see Whitaker getting desperate and really trying to win and be finished because of that versus just taking the loss. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So is is John Jones training with you guys or what's his issue? Um, I don't know. I I mean, you know, he's, he's there. He kind of will, he'll come out. He's still living in Albuquerque. He'll come out for a couple weeks, not even a couple weeks, a week. Then he'll go back home for a couple weeks, and he comes mm-hmm. out a little bit. It's kind of back and forth. Um, he doesn't have a fight set up, so I don't really know. I think we're all just uh, we're just pawns in game of John Jones. Feeling you know, like, it out, feeling yeah, it out a little so bit. Yeah, he, so he's been out. I, I, it's you know, I mean, I, I think he's kind of the consensus best ever pound for pound. You know, he's yeah. one of the best fighters ever. So it's kind of intimidating. Like, what the fuck do you show the best guy <laughs> to have ever done the sport? Bro. Just reps on the basics. Yeah. That's it, right? And, you know, Henry's like, here, you're working with John, uh, you know, some cage control. And, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, H- Henry, is he training? Does he train every day? No. He, he, so, who does in and out? He's kind of doing his own thing. He's he's training some days, and then he travels a lot, and then he's in with some of the guys and working with stuff. And Having kinda, a baby now. Yeah. He's, yep. He's got he's got a baby, and, and that's, that's a thing. So, he's kind of in and out and all around and kind of, you know, pops in, shows his head. Okay, Komain, Derek Lewis tied to Avasa. For me, fuck, they're both so sparky, but I think Derek's quite a big, bit bigger. I th- I thought um, Greg Hardy would beat Ty. Greg, Greg in person is so fucking massive. I'm like, how is Ty going to take this guy out? But he fucking cleaned his, cleaned his clock, backing up with that left hook. Derek Lewis tied to Avasa. I like them both, obviously, but I'm, I'm going to say Derek. Derek in his hometown, three rounder, longer, bigger, sparky as fuck. I'm gonna say Derek, maybe by KO. What do you got? I'm with you 100. percent If he doesn't get the KO, I think he wins a decision. He's he's really good at his management of distance these days. Of he knows when to fight and when not to fight too. He knows mm-hmm. he doesn't have a gas tank, so he mm-hmm. knows how to not fight. And mm-hmm. He moves away, moves away, throws that left high kick to back people up. And when they do blitz in, because they can't find the range from that kick, he counters and throws. And Plus he has a head the size of a car. His fucking fists too are bigger than yeah. head. Yeah. I mean, like I really, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody take punishment like Derek Lewis and then be like, yeah, I'm going to go walk to the fridge and grab a sandwich. Like, he, yeah. he doesn't even know people are punching him. It's going to be a sweet little boxing match. Okay, next up, Jared Cannonier Brunson. Jared Cannonier, if you haven't been around him much, he's similar to Henry Corrales. He's just fucking ice cold, dude. And he's one of those guys in the gym. 
he's always working on shit. So you maybe get, maybe get the best of Jared. You see him in the gym. You're like, Oh man, he, he's all right. But then in there, he's a fucking savage dude. Um, I'm going to pick Jared knocking out Brunson. So I got to qualify this. You train with Jared. So you, you are biased. You can't, you can't yeah. give an unbiased opinion here. I just don't see Brunson. I, I I've seen Jared against, I've Jared against good wrestlers, yes. like really good wrestlers. And he shuts them down. And I, so I, I say that, that you're biased because I am not biased. I don't know that I've ever met Jared mm. and I think Jared wins this. Yeah. Like, like a hundred percent. So like you, so if you guys are listening, like, well, Tim, of course you're going to pick Jared. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know Jared. I've never met Jared and, and I, I'm picking Jared to win this. I, I, I think, and Brunson's a handful with his wrestling. Yes. But I mean, Kevin Holland can't wrestle to save his life. Mm-hmm. And anytime they were standing, Holland would hit him enough to where it scared, yep. you know, Brunson's probably wife and children. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Jared is going to have enough time to touch his chin. And I, I think he wins by the knockout. Perfect. And then uh, la- last one we'll, we'll pick is uh, Kyler Phillips versus Marcelo. I'm obviously going with Kyler. I'm biased, but Kyler is a fucking savage, dude. We, we say that a lot, but he's been training since he was three years old, doing gymnastics. He's athletic as fuck. After that loss from Paeva, He's really dialed in his fight camps, dialed in his his uh, diet, and he's taking it a little more serious. I think he's going to fucking murk this kid. So I love Kyler. And if, if if we're betting on all these, and this is, you know, I mean, I do this as well. I bet on all the fights. I, I break down all the fights. I'm very heavy into betting. I'm not touching this fight in terms of money. Kyler should win. Mm-hmm. Kyler is better. But Kyler's a first-round fighter. He doesn't manage himself well. Yeah. He doesn't. For he is phenomenal with some of the worst fight IQ I've seen at that high of a level. Like yeah. you see bad fight IQ, but with his skill set, his skill set is so amazingly good in all of the areas of the MMA. With that skill set, his fight IQ is the lowest in terms of his skill set. So the disparities disparity between skill set and fight IQ, I think is one of the larger mm-hmm. I've seen at this level. And what I mean by that is he's, he's tired at the end of the first round. Okay. We'll, we'll just say first round, second round, second mm-hmm. round, m- completely murders a guy round one, second round, he's tired. And, and so you'd think, okay, let's manage this a little bit. Let's so he throws 38 spinning back, everything's and cartwheels off the cage. Yep. And I'm like, dude, just manage your energy level a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. I think he is phenomenal. He's so much better than Rojo, but Rojo won't die. He's very, very durable. This is a guy who is very hard to finish. And I think Kyler absolutely murders him in round one. If he can't finish him in round one, what Kyler do we see in round two and in round three? And that is what worries me about this fight. Um, I think, I think, that was the best case scenario against Kyler Paiva because I was watching a lot of Kyler sparring and he would fucking just, he'd be sparring really good fighters and dropping them all first round, dropping them all first round. And I think he went out there, he's fighting Paiva who came up from 25 short notice. He's like, I'm going to put this motherfucker away and really emptied his tank. But I think that opened his eyes a lot. Like, holy shit, these motherfuckers aren't going to go away. And I think he's going to come out different, managing his energy way better in this fight. And like I said, going into that last fight, he, his life, he just was making, I think a couple bonuses in a row, waxing everyone. He, he kind of didn't take that camp as serious as he should have. This one, I see he's taken a lot more serious, and I think he learned from his mistakes. So I'm pumped to, I'm pumped for this match, okay, especially nice. since that kid's durable. Yes. Yeah. I like Kyler. Like I said, I, I, and I and I don't know him. I think I might have met him a couple mm-hmm. times. So I don't know him. But just his style, everything I've heard, I, I really like watching him. If I didn't see how poorly Kyler manages his fighting, I would say Kyler all day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kyler should win this. Kyler should win this fight. I want to bet on Kyler in the future. I just need him to show me first that he can manage himself a little bit, and then I'll I'll throw the money back on him. I'm ready to throw the money on him, but you got to show me first that you're not 
crazy. Yeah, like, yeah. I need you to show me and I'll do it. I'm there. I'm ready. I just, just give me one performance yep. where, and I, and you can have all of my money again. Yeah. Or you don't empty the load in the first round. Yep. I, I think we'll see it. This one, he's ready to rumble, but dude, thank you so much for coming on. I think that was a great conversation. Hopefully the people loved it. Uh, where can people like follow you? And I know you have a Patreon too. Where yeah. I have it? a Patreon shit. I don't even know what my, I think it's MMA breakdowns and bets on Patreon. Um, I mean, I know that's the name of it, but the actual mm. URL, it's Patreon MMA Breakdowns and Bets, where we break down fights and, and stuff like that. You probably like find that. it on your Insta. What's your yeah, Insta? Yeah, yep. My Instagram is just Santino DeFranco. We'll, so. we'll throw it up on the And on I the think there's too. only one Santino DeFranco on Instagram in the world, <laughs> ever. I don't know. There's probably 7,000. Hopefully, it's a rich guy that wants to buy it from you. I know. Hopefully, man. Just <laughs> take my name. Take my likeness. Just pay me for it, yeah. please. All right, thanks a lot, brother. All right, thanks for watching, guys. See you next week. Peace. Peter, I'm going to throw it. Two, one, and I'm going to throw it.